0: You know, as we sing that last song, it a bunch of verses came into my mind that just at th- that time when it was talking about people that there were a lot of false spirits uh, in the ages and they will continue to be here until the return of Christ. And he said, how are you going to know which spirits are of God and which are not? And uh, I have come to see that every... Uh, Every single message, every single song, every single book that somehow, when you're done reading, has elevated the life of Jesus Christ in your life, in your thoughts, is of God. And just that, you know, I'm thinking of Nebuchadnezzar back where that song was taken from when they throw the three into the burning fire, and he comes and he quickly, it, it says, he rushes and says, didn't we throw three in here? But I see a fourth. I see another one running amongst them, and none of them are harmed. He has the appearance of the Son of God. And I, I realize that here we are singing a song. We're going into Judges, and we're singing about Jesus. And I, I want to uh, emphasize that again. That if what you're involved in, if what you're reading, if what you're listening to, if what occupies the real estate of your mind is not somehow elevating the name of Jesus, I would ask you to at least ask God to search you and know your heart. Because it seems like everything that becomes alive in my life, that has some type of impact in my life, basically ends up being about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a story about one hero and one hero only. So... uh, it's, it's hard sometimes when I get a lot of verses that come to my mind because I do know a lot of them that God gives me. I also know the enemy gives a lot of verses. So he can take me and distract me down places that, that maybe didn't want me to go. <clears throat> I, I told the, told Ben first, and I told the first service, I said on my way driving, I get to drive the back way. Uh, do you guys ride? Do you guys come the back way too? Yeah. So, and I drove the the back way, and I I get time alone, and I said, on the way up here, I heard the most incredible sermon on Judges uh, 1. And that's what we're going to start today. And I said, it was just incredible. And I told Ben, it was in my mind. <clears throat> and so it was in mind. I said, oh, God, you've got to bring that one out. So the first service I got done, I was walking off. And I said, where in the world was that first that thing in my mind? That was just terrible. <laughs> so, so I kind of walked down and said, wow, God, that's... Uh, it wasn't what I heard in my mind, so I guess that was for me. But I did basically change everything around for the second service. So maybe, maybe it'll be as bad. So uh, it, we've, this is our third week in Judges, and this is the first that we're going to open up the book of Judges in chapter one. Now, there is a reason if you've listened to the last two messages that Ben gave. He was giving preparation <clears throat> that Joshua, the book of Joshua, was preparing you for the book of Judges. And a lot of what was going on in Joshua was was setting the stage for what you would see in, in Judges. And I'm not going to repeat all that. It was awesome, and you should listen to it because it really makes more sense. The whole Bible, uh, standing alone, is difficult. It's, it's all one piece, and the whole Word of God, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is what makes things make sense. But I want to go back even further uh, to basically the entire Bible. The Bible is not a book of moral laws. Uh, It is about a God of loving kindness and mercy uh, who works in a people that are constantly resistant of him and turning against him. And and that continues throughout all the all of the scriptures, all the way to the end, all the way to the Revelation. And and here it is really magnified. You're going to see a people that God's shining a light on, and you're going to see people that are partially in. They're partially they're following God. They're they're doing some things, but they're they're still doing something. And in, in Judges 21, it says, "And every man was doing what was right in his own eyes." They. They contemplate things God's asked them, and then they kind of uh, figure out in their own mind, put their own reasoning together and logic together, and then they end up doing what is right in their own mind, so therefore their authority is within themselves. And God says about this nation, he says, uh, they're a feared and dreadful nation because their authority is originating from within themselves. So you're going to see this a lot in Judges. Uh, You're going to see it all the way through Judges. My prayer for you is that you will allow God to let you see it in you. Uh, I, I feel like whenever I am seeing some revelation of something in the scriptures that really seems to stand out, I can't let it stay there. God always points it to something I'm doing. So if I see something and, and, uh, and Michelle and it's like, man, I, I saw this, God's saying, well, I'm not wanting you to do anything about that with Michelle. I want you to do about what I'm revealing in your life. I have seen that if we're all open to that, uh, you're going to find that your life, uh, there's there's a lot that you need to look at. And if you can walk out of here saying, God, thank you that you were able to reveal some of that into my life. And so we're going to take a look at Judges and we're going to look at chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse... Five, One through five. And I believe there are uh, five points I'm going to kind of point out today. And I think we're going to look at these five points. We're not going to take and read the whole uh, part of Judges here. There's a, a lot that you can read. We'll pick out some of this, that kind of how it flows through here. There's a lot of repeated things, uh, just like kind of when you have... Uh, ancestors in the Bible—they're—they're they're telling you there's a reason uh, that you're going to see a lot of the judges and a lot of the people that repeated the same fault that the ones before them repeated. Partial following God and partially not, and uh, and so you'll see that as we look here. Uh, theme one: the first thing is God relentlessly offers grace to us, the undeserving, the undeserving. Uh, <clears throat> because we, we constantly are taking partial truths or partial things, and then we fabricate for ourselves our own idols. Uh, uh, I saw Mark here. Mark is a guy that has worked for me with me for a long, long time, and Mark is somebody that I, I really lean to sometimes when I'm having difficulty in my own. I, maybe there's something that I'm struggling with myself, and I came to him a while ago, and I said, you know, there's been something that's been troubling me a lot lately. And I said, I've, I've had this burning desire in my heart to deepen my intimacy with God and and to see, uh, you know, just something that I felt like I, I want to go deeper. And I said, but it seems like the longer and the, the, the more I ache for that, the more I am brought to some of my own motives of my life, some of my old junk in my life, and I, I look back and I, and I see things and... And I think, I never saw that in my life. You know, the motives were for self. They weren't for people. And, and I started to get involved in almost condemnation. And I knew that in Romans it says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And so when I told Mark about this, this dilemma, this conflict that I was having within me, he didn't bat, didn't waste a second. He said, what did you think you were going to see when you look back at yourself? <laughs> And it kind of flattered, I mean, flattened me. I thought, well, I thought I'd find a nice guy, you know, back there. And and, uh, and so when he said it, it just dawned on me how foolish it was that that in and of ourselves, there's nothing we have to offer and to bring to the plate of what God has done for us. He is a relentless God pursuing an ungodly people and continues to do it as we continue to fail. Now, that's not to give us uh, freedom to go fail. It's just to have an understanding that the story is about God and what he did for us, not so much what we've done. And, uh, and so you'll see in, in the book of Judges, uh, when, when Joshua died, it, you know, he said, who's going to go ahead and take this land? And he said, first go up against the Canaanites to fight against them. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land in his land. So Judah does go up. He obeys God and he goes up. But the next verse says, but before he goes up, he calls his brother Simon and says, Simon, you need to come up with me. We're going to fight. Now, that looks like a brilliant idea. If I'm going to get into a fight, I'm going to grab some people I know that can kind of, let's go. They have their people. I'm going to get my people. But that's not what God said. God said, Judah, you're going up, and I've given the land to you. You would miss that just reading this real quickly. Because Simon goes up and they defeat him and stuff like that. So it's not, it doesn't seem like a big thing. Uh, and, and then you go up and, and then you see as we go through here some different things that are kind of laid out here. Don't get lost in some of the little details. I, I was even, I was even kind of reluctant to even tell you. You're going to read where they go in and they, they capture some people and they cut off their thumbs and their big toes. Okay. Uh, now I've lost you now for the rest of the time because you're going to be wondering about that. Uh, <clears throat> but the thing that I that I liked about that, uh, not that he cut off his thumbs and his big toads, but Adonai, I don't know, Adonai Bezek, I think his name is, and I, I don't pronounce these words very well, their names very well. I don't even pronounce your names very well, so it's kind of a tough deal. But it was funny that... He understood, and and what he said after they caught him, cut off his toes and and stuff, he he says 70 kings with their thumbs and their big toes uh, cut off, used to gather up scraps on the table. Uh, As I have done so, God has repaid me. He even knew something. He knew that he was being repaid by the way that he was living life anti-God and very, very corrupt in the way he lived life. He knew that it was coming back to him, which we're going to see in a minute, that there are consequences for the way you live. So basically, number one, God's relentless, and God keeps pursuing the undeserving. Uh, and, And I want you to see, as we look at this, because of where we live, remember it says, I have not just written these things for you, but those that will believe in the future, and and for us it's pertinent because we live in a country called America and America has and is and has set up just as many idols as these people have set up America has done what they've done they've partially believed they've partially acted in the at least the the appearance of religion and so We look at it, and America has lifted up power and money and fame and pleasure and achievement and appearance, and we bow before these, and we bow for them, and and you look at it, and you can sit back and and, and listen to your podcast, whatever, and you can see what has been happening here. It's amazing. We're no different than it was at Judges. This message is for us, but I would like to take it and reduce it down just not only from America, but into here. Here. To us, to our lives, that you'll find out that uh, many times you look how foolish it is that somebody's worshiping a, a certain idol. And uh, which will lead us into the, the second thing, the second point is that God wants your whole self, not just halfway followers. And these were people that wanted to kind of mix following God with some idols. And in doing so, <coughs> it is amazing how foolish it can look. I, I, sometimes when I'm just kind of laying at night and I can't sleep real well, I take the Bible on tape and I, on tape, it's on podcast. A lot of you people, it used to be reel-to-reel, then it went to tapes, and it went to all the stuff, but I listened to this podcast and I just happened to hit uh, Isaiah. And I just said, I'm just going to pick Isaiah 44 and, uh, and just listen quietly to it. And... Normally I listen and then I fall asleep. This time I listen and something seems so dramatically obvious when he read through this. And he was talking about these people that were following idols. And I'm going to paraphrase it for you. But it's Isaiah 44. And he says, okay, God's kind of saying, now let me see if I get this right. You're, you're going out and there's been a tree planted And the rain has caused it to grow, that I provided the rain to cause this tree to grow. You're going to go out, and you're going to chop the tree down, drag it to wherever you're going to drag it, and you're going to cut pieces off of it. Some of the pieces you're going to warm yourself. Some of the pieces you're going to actually throw in to cook on. And oh, by the way, some of the pieces you're going to carve into something. And he says, in the form of a man or in the form of a woman, a beautiful man or a woman... And you're gonna set that up in your house, and then you're gonna bow down and worship it as God. And then he he repeats it. So you take a block of wood that I made and put it in your room, and you bow down and worship. He said, Who's ever heard the like of this? And to me it was so obvious. Like, yeah, what do you think? You know, this is you're gonna bow down and worship something. And he goes on later and says, You even carved eyes in it, but it can't see. It has hands, but it can't feel. It has a mouth, but it can't speak. It has ears, but it can't hear. And I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, this is so obvious. I'm laying in bed thinking this is so obvious. And so God raises up the idols of today, the idol of image. Uh, I don't know if, if you would believe this or not, but... I've been filling this pulpit occasionally for 36 years. And uh, one time I filled the pulpit, and uh, I think it was a disaster beyond disasters. Uh, Normally I get people say, no, I was ministered. This day, everybody I talked to, even my wife said, it was a disaster. And uh, I even had my nephew, and he was over, and I asked him to pray for the dinner. And he says, oh, God bless this food. And make something that Uncle Bill said make sense to somebody. <laughs> so he confirmed it. <clears throat> uh, I have spoken hundreds and hundreds of times since then. I have very seldom ever walked up these stairs and have not been scared to death being up here. I have no idea what's going to come out. I mean, I study it, I read it, but I have no idea what's going to happen I don't come up here thinking, oh boy, get me up on that stage. That's not the case. Uh, first service today, I actually was pretty excited to get up here because <laughs> I had this nice thing in my mind, and uh, it didn't go the way I wanted it to go. And uh, now somebody did say, well, it really ministered to me, so maybe it was just about me in this situation. That God was doing something, but in the in the midst of this thing, God says, "You still." Have that in your living room and you still bow down to it and that is your image. You don't like it that somebody said, hey, that was really pretty bad. That was pretty bad. But I, God really touched me in something. Now I pray that God would open your hearts and that God would search you and, and open and bring to light those things that God wants to work on in your life. And, and, I, and I even say it, I, I don't say it real loud, but I say, even if I look bad, I want you to administer their lives. <clears throat> okay. So God just showed me again. I don't have a block of wood carved in the field, but I have image. Some of you out here are basically worshiping the idol of body image. And you can't seem to not get out of your mind what you look like and how much you have to do and what you eat, what you don't eat, and how you exercise and what you do. And pretty soon you worship that idol. And and that's actually as bizarre because the body that you have, God says, I'm aware of every cell in your body before you even came up. I fashioned you with my own hands to look a certain way. And I can tell you this by at least being in uh, some sports and some athletics. You can work your butt off and do all you want for your body, but if you even take a breath, it goes right back to that original shape that you have. And we all have different ones. But if we, but we've put a lot of importance on having a certain one that looks like something. That's what we worship there. Some of you uh, have bowed down to the idol of money. And so therefore it seems to rob you from things with people. Sometimes you don't do things. You don't take breaks. You don't go in and enjoy the land. Like when he, when he told Joshua, look at, I'm giving you this land. Go in and possess it and enjoy yourself. We don't do it because we are too busy wanting to make money. You'll see here in, in chapter 1, six times, no, seven times, instead of driving out the Canaanites and driving these people out that were doing just horrible, horrible, abominable things to their children and doing things, instead of driving them out, they decide, hey, let's wipe them out, but let's keep them for forced labor so they can, we can make money. Doesn't that sound like a novel idea? We'll make them work for us. There. So they partially believed, but they partially worship whatever they were. And some of these were worshiping to get ahead. So they used them for forced labor. Over and over, you're going to read, they drew them up, but they kept them for forced labor. Some, we worship the idol of pleasure or achievement. Or maybe it's the idol of being right. You're always being right. I can tell you this, after being married for 47 years, being right isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Every time I fought to be right, Nancy and I grew further apart. And then I find out later on I never was right. The conclusion she came to, she never was right either said, you know, we used to kind of argue about, oh, I, did not, I didn't leave that open. Yes, you did. You left that open. Now, we basically, and it's probably age, says, probably it was me. She goes, I'm probably it was me to be right or to win. We even worship, we worship the God of unforgiveness. We get hurt, and we're going to make this people pay because God, we don't believe God and says, hey, why don't you leave vengeance to me? I'll do it accurately. So we worship that God. I can continually go on and on and on because I, I, I know lots of things that people worship. But I ask you just to ask God, even maybe down the hill, God, what is it that I'm bowing to? What is it that somehow was robbing me f- from being fully in with you that I'm just, I'm half in like these people were? You see, they they take the liberty here. They went to church. They go to church. These guys, they went up and fought the battle. They did partially what God asked them to do. They just just took it and kind of made their own reasoning and did it the way they wanted to do it. And that's kind of today. We have an American people that are not fully in because we basically are saying, well, we're going to do, I'm not going to forsake God, but to really go ahead and follow him to when he speaks something that you do it. And to say, God, I'll do it. You speak it. I'll do it. Whatever it is you say to me. Because I do know this, And we'll get to this at the end. Whatever you have for me is better than what I've got in my mind for me. Third thing. Some of God's promises you're going to see in here are conditional and some of his promises are non-conditional or unconditional. God will never leave you but there is a tension. Now, let let me preface this. I don't think God's jumping around in heaven uh, with the tension. But I think he's pointing to the tension. And he, he points out in Judges 2, uh, verses 1 through 3, uh, basically, uh, let me read the paraphrase of this. Uh, he said, I, God says, I'm never going to break my covenant. I'm a covenant-keeping God. And I also have said, if you'll compromise with these nations, I will not drive them out. It is though God is saying, I've sworn to give you the whole of this land, yet I have also sworn not to give it to disobedient people. How am I to solve this dilemma, as you would call dilemma? And so it's like, okay, I said I'll keep it. And so you see here, he's saying, uh, I brought you out of this land. I told you I'm a covenant God, but you have not done what I've said. You've disobeyed what I've said. You've added things to what I've said, and you've reasoned within yourself So how am I going to give you this land? So we have, at this point, an appears like a problem. Now I remember God's on his throne. God says his feet are, are up on his footstool, which is this earth. And he's laughing because he says none of my plans are going to be thwarted. But it appears we have a problem here. And so in that, and you see that dilemma and that tension rise, all through this book you're going to see the tension, men doing what was right in their own eyes. God being a covenant God that chases them and chases them across the lands to prove his love and to show that he is a God of love. But man just breaks it. So number two things in this is that the way you live your life will have consequences most of the time in your life. And you can blame and point to God about this, you wouldn't believe how many people I have seen in my office that will come in. I, I, I'll never forget this one. I was in Oklahoma, and I was counseling down there. And a person came in, and their, their nose was just red as could be, and their eyes were terrible. And they came in and said, I'm, I'm just miserable. I said, what well, can I help you with? I'm miserable. I'm miserable. And I, my nose is burning and all this kind of stuff. And, and uh, so I started asking questions, and the person was hooked on cocaine. They did not want to get off the cocaine. They wanted to not have the burning in the nose and, and the stuff. And, uh, and they said, what, was your, what would be your suggestion? And I said, well, let me see that I'm hearing you accurately. And, uh, and so it's the, uh, th- you want the consequences to stop. He goes, yeah. But you don't want to stop the cocaine. No. And he said, what would be your suggestion? I said, take more cocaine. I'll probably be arrested for that. <laughs> it's like God saying, let your own God deliver you. If you're not going to follow me and you're going to make your own God and you're not willing to lay it down, then I'll, let, I'll say, when you call for me, God says, I'll tell you to talk to your own God and see if your own God will deliver you. Sometimes we don't come to an end to something, and so therefore it's, it's crazy what we do. So we compromise and there are consequences. I do want to give you a little spoiler because I believe what I said when we started this, what we sing about what Nick's next week, what Nick will say next week, what Ben will say. Hopefully what you're going to get every time you leave from here is that this person, Jesus Christ, is incredible. This apparent, apparent dilemma is solved at the cross the night Jesus hung there and hung out his hands and said, it is finished, just telestai. I got what I came here for. This was solved. He took yours and my sins, everything from the beginning, all the poor motives, everything, and everything you're going to do in the future, he took and he cleared the slate and said, I will remember those sins against you never again. Now that doesn't say he doesn't remember them. He just will never hold them against you again. So, He can now go ahead and because the righteousness of Jesus Christ was poured into you, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, and his sin, I mean your sin, came on to him and he then paid the debt of it. So now this has been satisfied. That means now God's a covenant-keeping God and God lets the consequences uh, carry out the consequences. But the cross of Jesus Christ made it possible for him to complete that. Judges is pointing to the cross and to the person of Jesus Christ. It is a story about Jesus Christ. And if you get that and read it, it's going to make way more sense to you. Joshua was, don't you think Joshua was kind of, a, kind of a, a picture of kind of what was supposed to be at the Jesus Christ in a way of pointing to him? And you'll find this all the way through Scripture that there's always people pointing to this. It's pointing to him, and if you get to Revelation, it's pointing to where on the cross back there too. The good news that we're going to see that makes us not have to continually fail all the time is that what happened after the cross at the resurrection. Because the resurrection now enables this living Jesus Christ, who we worship, whatever, to take up residency within your life and my life, and the union between you and him now can become so one that we can't even tell kind of what he's doing, what we're doing. It's like you read uh, John 17. If you'll look, John 17 is a whole book about, Father, that they may be one even as you and I are one, as you are in me, that I may be in them in the same manner that you are in me, that we will become one. And now it's kind of hard to tell between what's Jesus and what's not. And in your life, that's where he's bringing us to so that we don't have to live the way that these guys did back here, the judges did, because they were living out of their own strength. And God is faithful To deal with it, what we need, number four, we need a true Savior and a true Savior that is going to put us in a place where we need repentance. I think that word's got a bad rap in a way when it's an incredibly powerful word, but repentance is is somewhat of a dying to, to something in yourself. When I repent, I am, I am laying down or dying to some right that I think I have. And I would say that when I have looked at repented people that truly are repented, I see some of the most beautiful people in my life. My wife Nancy has sometimes, I've been hurt in the job that I do sometimes by whether people saying things or maybe somebody just taking advantage of me or something. And I've been hurt really bad by some people and... and uh, and, in, and I don't know that I handle it all really well, but at a certain point when I've seen those people that hurt me, when I've seen a repentance in their life, I can't believe how much more beautiful they are than before they hurt me. He says, how come can, how can you can hang with them? How come they can still be your, some of your best friends? And I said, they're sweeter, they're more beautiful, they reflect the image of God way more, and, and I've heard that when God has put in my heart of things that I will repent from. I think repentance is unbelievable. And we're called to be holy. We're called to be set apart. This book is about that. It's about somehow we are called to be holy. That word means to be set apart. To be something set apart or different. Somebody gave the illustration, if you look in Song of Solomon, where it's like going out and you've got this entire uh, field of just white lilies, but there's a one red rose that's, that's there. And it's set apart. It's called holy. It's set apart from the other ones. Now, I want to tell you what I do not think that means. I do not think that means that we look at what the world's doing and then we don't do what they're doing. Oh, I'm not going to be like the world. I'm going to set up. I'm not going to do that. When most of the things some of the world's doing, God gave us to be doing. But we say, I'm not going to do that. I think that what it's saying here is that that you live a life that is set apart from the world. That means the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control, forgiveness and laying down your right to have bitterness. Those are the things that will set you apart. Not going to a movie, not not dancing, not not smoking. Those aren't the things that are going to set you apart. We we think that's it, so we say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. God's saying, what I want you to do is be a container for my life to live through you and love through you because nobody on this planet can truly forgive. Only God can forgive. A non-believer can't really forgive. It's impossible. You are set apart. You now possess the life of Jesus Christ, so now you're able to be the extension of that forgiveness. That's what set apart is. It's to live differently. It's to live where people look at you and they're saying, I want whatever it is they've got because I can't manufacture it. I can't conjure it up. That's set apart. It's to live differently. In all repentance, there is a dying to something. It's a dying to blaming others. It's dying to your need to be right. It's dying to look good. It's a dying, uh, dying to be in control. It's dying to win. Uh, this uh, German theologian, Meister Eckhart, said, spirituality has more to do with subtraction than it does with addition. Spirituality is not all about getting and attaining and achieving and performing or even succeeding, for they all pander your ego. He says, all spirituality teaches about letting go of what we don't need and who you are not. Then when you get little enough and naked enough and poor enough, you'll find that the little place where you now really are is ironically more than enough, and it's all you need. At that place, you have nothing to prove to anybody and nothing to protect. That place we call freedom. Last point that I think you're going to see that God's pointing throughout this whole thing that there's a reason why people it said why people didn't keep following God. Number one... Uh, Timothy Keller, uh, who I, I really like listening to and I like reading his stuff, and uh, he, he wrote a book uh, called, uh, what's it, The Idol manufacturer I can't remember. What, what's it called? Uh? Counterfeit. Yes, Counterfeit Gods. But he says, I think one of the biggest reasons that people basically will not walk inconsistently is because we have forgot to remember. We forgot to Remember? Psalm, a psalm I was reading yesterday talks about that I I then decided to remember and muse on the things of God and who God was, and because he remembered what God was and who God was, he could then be more obedient. I think remembering is remembering who he is, rather than always pondering and asking questions. At the early service, I use the example of Tom's up here playing music, and, and who's ever up top, with Levi's up top, and Tom says, would you turn uh, this speaker down over here? And if Levi says, why? How come? Because I said, turn it down. It's, it's, it's a, we always have to have an explanation. But if we'll remember, number one, who God is, that he's sovereignly in control of this universe, that he's loving and kind, every single thing he does says, is covered with his loving kindness. Matter of fact, there's a whole chapter that, that says, Let Israel declare that his loving kindness is everlasting. Let Jacob declare that his loving kindness is everlasting. It goes through a whole chapter telling, Let the moon declare that it's everlasting. Let the sun declare his loving kindness is everlasting. God's loving kindness, which is love overflowing with mercy towards you and me, that we don't get what we deserve. His loving kindness is everlasting. And so, therefore, God is in charge. And that's the last point. Despite what it appears, despite what it looks like, and this is huge for today, <clears throat> it is very easy today in this world, in this media, to somehow forget that your God isn't in control of the show. And you'll be reminded daily that He's not. And it will cause you to, to live out of a response to fear rather than the way God's called you to live. It will cause you to somehow reduce the real estate in your mind being about Christ and who Jesus is, and you'll get reduced to all the things that they're going to tell you to worry about. I can say at least this one here, and I don't know why, but this one here, I don't lose one ounce of sleep about what's going on in this world today. I do believe God is in charge of it, and God is orchestrating his whole life here, and God's sitting on a throne. When it said, I looked into heaven, I saw the heavens opened up, and there was a throne, and there was somebody sitting, that word meant he's relaxed and sitting and in control of this universe. He's not freaked out about what's going on today. If you can remember that, you can be wise in how you deal with things happening today. You can use your counsel, but don't for one moment, think that somehow God doesn't have this thing under control. Would you pray with me, Father? I we're just left with that thought, and I I just somehow want that so driven into our lives. We somehow think that we have more power than we do. We somehow think that we uh, somehow make a big difference. And the only way that we get to do what we do is so that you might enjoy our relationship when we do it. If I don't go talk to that person about you, they're not going to miss hearing about you if you want them to hear about you. I just miss out on it. Thank you that you're a God that is loving and kind. And thank you that you're a God that's sovereign. And thank you you're a God that has forgiven us so that we don't have to live consistently uh, in our own devices and our own authority. Speak to each of these people today in the way and the places you want to speak to them. And I pray, Father, that a spirit of repentance would fall upon them so that they would look the way you designed them to look and live the way you designed them to live. And we ask you this with total confidence in Jesus' name. Amen.